Hello, it's Robin Upsall, politics reporter at the Des Moines Register, back with another episode of the Iowa Presidential Caucus podcast, Three Tickets. This episode focuses on former U.S. Senator Tom Harkin. I don't want to give too much away, but the former U.S. Senator has played a major role in Iowa presidential politics for decades, including running as a candidate himself in 1992. He has a lot to tell, so let's get started. Candidates didn't show up, and for the most part, neither did the media. The caucuses were held on February 10th, and on February 11th, they had no discernible effect on the race. Why? Because of one guy. I'm, I'm Tom Harkin. I'm Tom Harkin was Iowa's junior U.S. senator for 30 years, and he was a congressman for 10 years before that. He retired earlier this year. I'm what's called a PIP. I used to be a VIP. Now I'm a PIP. That means a previously important person. <laughs> so, In 1991, shortly after securing his greatest political accomplishment, passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, he ran for president. Here's how political scientists Hugh Weinbrenner and Dennis Goldford describe his candidacy in their book on the caucuses. Quote, Iowa Senator Tom Harkin declared himself a candidate for the Democratic nomination on September 15th. The announcement effectively ended the national importance of the 1992 Iowa precinct caucuses. Period. Now, the reason for this is pretty self-evident, isn't it? As a favorite Sun candidate, Harkin was widely expected not just to win, but to dominate the caucuses. And when the other candidates saw that writing on the wall, they said, I'm going to New Hampshire. And you might think that this was advantageous to Tom Harkin, a wide-open lane in the first-in-the-nation caucuses. But no, it really wasn't. Uh, well, I knew that I had... I, I was, I couldn't come out of Iowa losing the caucuses. <laughs> so we put a major effort to win the Iowa caucuses in 1992. My biggest fear In fact, the pressure was even heavier on Harkin. Remember, the Iowa caucuses are all about expectations. And so when you're the only candidate who has a chance of winning, the expectations are that you'll win overwhelmingly. That's true. Yeah, it was a tough situation to be in. Uh, While Harkin invested heavily in his Iowa organization and set his sights on beating inflated expectations, the other candidates largely stayed away. Paul Songus spent more time than anyone in Iowa, but basically quit the state after Harkin declared. The rest of the field, in fact, spent a total of 12 days in Iowa after Harkin formally entered the race. And the Democratic Party's annual Jefferson-Jackson dinner accounted for almost half of those days. Harkin initially believed his toughest challenge would come from one of his closest political neighbors. In the Iowa caucuses in 1992, my biggest fear was Bob Kerry. From Nebraska? From Nebraska, because he had all that Western Iowa media over there. That was my biggest concern. It wasn't Clinton or anybody else. It was Bob Kerry. In the end, though, Harkin steamrolled everybody. And it didn't even matter. A New York Times dispatch, Dateline Sioux City, and published the day before the caucuses was already dismissing Iowa and looking ahead to New Hampshire as the first meaningful test. And so when I came out of here, it was 70-some percent. Even 76.5 percent of the delegate equivalents, according to the official results. 70-some percent. Even the national press didn't give me much, much on that, which I thought was pretty amazing. But, uh, but it, it gave me no bounce anywhere uh, at all. They just said, well, home state. 
so it's just life. Uh, All that effort you're right. for nothing. So that was the Harkin effect. But here's an interesting counterfactual for you. If Tom Harkin hadn't run, what would the Iowa campaign have looked like? Gulford and Weinbrenner don't actually address this question in their book, but they lend some interesting context to it. The Democratic race for president in 1992 was extremely slow to develop, and largely for reasons that had nothing to do with Tom Harkin or the Iowa precinct caucuses. In early 1991, incumbent Republican President George H.W. Bush's popularity surged on the U.S.'s quick and overwhelming success in the Gulf War. And that pretty much scared off any challengers. In fact, by March 15, 1991, no Democrat had even officially declared for the race. At that same point four years earlier, by contrast, 14 candidates from both parties had already spent 230 days in Iowa. Paul Songus finally got into the race in April. Harkin declared in September, followed by Kerry, and it wasn't until early October that Bill Clinton got in the race. Jerry Brown jumped in even later than that. So what does that tell us? It suggests to me that 1992 may have been a relatively quiet race in Iowa, even without Harkin's favorite son candidacy. And this broader context also helps dispel the notion that Harkin somehow endangered the caucuses by running here. Harkin himself certainly doesn't believe his candidacy dampened the caucuses or threatened their long-term viability. I don't remember anything along that line of people saying, oh, Harkin's ruining the Iowa caucuses. I, I don't remember that. Maybe I'm just blanking that out. I don't know. But I don't remember any, any problems with that. I thought people felt that I was... I was a good senator. I was. Uh, I got reelected in, in in ninety, in a very tough race, against a very good candidate, um, and uh, I thought they thought I might have a chance. There you go. So I, I no, I never heard anything about that. This was going to hurt us in the future. No. That's true. The caucuses cranked right back up on the Republican side in nineteen ninety six, strong as ever. So. How did Tom Harkin fare in the 1992 race after Iowa? To this day, he believes he really had a shot. And I think people thought I had a reasonably good chance of winning the nomination, and I did. Until the end of December of 92, I had qualified in more states, I had raised more money, and had more commitments from different states than Bill Clinton. But the wheels came off in New Hampshire. Jeez, so I, I really blew New Hampshire, boy. So Songs came in first, Clinton second, Kerry third. I came in fourth, right behind Bob Kerry. Uh, and that, that, uh, that hurt. What went uh, wrong? The, I made a couple of big mistakes. One of my biggest mistakes was trying to run a national campaign. I remember being down in Texas once, running around. I had an organization. I was in South Carolina once. I was driving down the road. It was raining. I'm thinking to myself, what the H am I doing in South Carolina? I don't have anything here. The guy Harkin was a Midwestern populist liberal. Rather than keying in on early states outside his demographic and trying to play in the big, expensive states, 
Harkin believes he should have just stuck to what he knew. But what I should have focused on was Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, and maybe a couple. Of, just focus on those states. Don't go anywhere else except those states. These were Rust Belt states, full of working-class New Deal Democrats. Harkin always talked about his coal miner father and his Slovenian immigrant mother. Stories like that would resonate in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. I could have won every single one of them. I had the best organization. I had the most support. But by the time I got to those states, I was out of money. In fact, I think I was out of the race. I had dropped out by the time those states came around. Alas. Bill Clinton ended up winning the Democratic nomination, while the incumbent George H.W. Bush saw his prospects decline amid an economic recession. Ross Perot's independent candidacy further siphoned votes from Bush, and Bill Clinton won the presidency in the fall of 1992. Beyond his own candidacy, Harkin's political life paralleled the progression of the caucuses. He was first elected in 1974, just a couple years before Jimmy Carter's signature victory here. And one of his top congressional aides, a guy named Richard Bender, is widely credited with developing the presidential preference process used in the Democratic caucuses. Tom Harkin's other big contribution to the Iowa caucuses, of course, was his steak fry, the famous annual fundraiser that every four years became a battleground in the Democratic caucus campaign. He told me his favorite caucus time steak fry was in 2003. All the 2004 Democratic candidates were there, and Bill Clinton was the headliner. I remember I went down to the morning, rain like the Dickens. And we had to have it on a Saturday. It was the only time we'd ever had a steak fry on a Saturday, because that's the only time Clinton could get there. So I said, okay, we'll have it on Saturday. And it was- Iowa had been experiencing a drought all summer. And now when Harkin holds an outdoor rally with the entire presidential field and thousands of voters, there, there's a downpour. I, came down, I went In the morning, I went out to the field. It was raining. It was muddy. It was just awful. Clinton comes. I pick him up at the airport. Private comes in on a private jet. Pick him up. Take him down there. Still raining. Just a mud heap. And uh, I've had all the candidates speak. And so I brought Clinton out to the stage. And... Just about the time I get Clinton down there, rain stopped, sun came out, shone on Clinton, just like, it's, it's amazing. And Clinton's appearance with the presidential candidates that day was seen as the beginning of his rehabilitation as a major figure in Democratic politics. And four years later, his wife appeared at the steak fry as the party's leading candidate for the presidency. As we talked, I was reminded of something Des Moines Register political columnist David Yepsen had told me. Something that explains a lot about the importance of the caucuses in Iowa's overall political environment. The caucuses, Yepsen told me, were a big reason why Harkin first got elected to the United States Senate in 1984. Unless Tom Harkin was able to win that Senate seat in the face of the Reagan landslide, in, in no small part because he had a great organization that was built by Democratic presidential candidates in 1984 that he was able to capitalize on. When I asked Harkin about that, he readily agreed. Almost all the caucuses in Iowa, we had someone there from the Harkin campaign to sign up people 
uh, get people to be our door knockers and our phone callers and uh, fundraisers. So we use the caucus as a huge springboard for me. Uh, and out of that, I know we got we built one of the best organizations not that I that I think that we've ever had in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the caucus allowed me to do that. That little story points to something larger and something very important about the Iowa caucuses. They have made Iowa a more competitive state. When presidential candidates spend a year campaigning somewhere, they naturally attract greater interest and spark more fervent activism. And that's a good thing for candidates up and down the ballot and on both sides of the aisle. So that has had a, it has made Iowa politics much more uh, organized. And in, I think it's been a huge benefit to Iowa to have a healthy two-party system. We're now a battleground state. Uh, the caucus has helped the Democrats become competitive in this state. They forced Republicans to be competitive. And the people of Iowa are the winners when you have a healthy uh, two-party system. I'm Jason Noble, and this is the Des Moines Register's Three Tickets podcast. In our next episode, we'll consider the outsized role social conservatives and evangelical Christians have had in Iowa's Republican caucuses. Religious conservatives have been a potent political force in Iowa since at least 1988. Next week, we'll find out why. The only update we have is that after he retired in 2014, he has been involved in politics through the Drake University Harkin Institute of Politics. Harkin has not made an official endorsement in the 2020 race as of January 2020. That should be it for now. Have a good rest of your day.